Hello, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. In this episode, we talk to Titus Lunder for the last time. Or, really, it's a continuation of the last time that we talked to Titus Lunder. This is the third part of our three-part series in our discussion with the Dutch magic artist. And, of course, in the third part of a trilogy, things get a little bit weird. This is our mailbag episode where we solicited questions from the audience. And, of course, we touched on such topics as classic Dutch recipes, how one gets into art and draws inspiration from artists, and of course, the most useful thing that we've gotten for ourselves for $100 or less in the last couple of years. This is an episode that's a bit of a departure from most other episodes in that we kind of get a little bit weird and let our hair down, but I hope you'll enjoy it. So, without any further ado, let's get to the show. And now that we've gotten the headiness out of the way, let's have some fun. Let's, we had mailbag yeah. questions. Let's get weird, because some of these questions were weird. I'm not going to lie. I, I am excited for this, and I'm going to start with the one that somebody mentioned they'd love to see for all podcasters. So we're going to start off with our question from TK Drama... 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 Dramancer? Yeah, which we love him, and I can't pronounce that name. I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, who can be found on Twitter at TK Shillings. Like and he said he wanted to borrow this from ones he's heard from another podcaster. But it is the question of what's the most u- useful, unique purchase that you've made in the last three years that costs less than $100? Or whatever money you use in the Netherlands. <laughs> oh, I'm first. Oh, dang it. You don't have to be first. No. Uh... Yeah, because I, I mean, I read the question, I read the show notes, and I couldn't figure it out then. Um, real quick, uh, subscription to a bouldering hall, which is sort of like climbing. I don't know if it's called the same there. Yeah. It's to not be in this chair as much. <laughs> um, the other thing was uh, mental health care, which here is free, but I'm not sure if you could do that for $100, but if you can, do it. Uh, anything, again, to, to get you out of that and into a healthier uh, space and I'm going to defer on the third one while I think about it uh, yeah I'm going to I'm going to say the most useful unique purchase I've made in the last three years and this is partially because I just made a career change in the last couple of months but uh, is they're, they're I think they're technically called galoshes but they're like those you know if you remember going into your grandparents closet when you were a little kid and finding those weird like they looked like shoes but they were just stretchy rubber outlines that looked a little bit bigger than shoes and you put them on and you flopped around like a clown for a little bit that's that's what i bought because you need those when you're a mail carrier because there's you'll you'd be shocked at how wet the grass is all the time and how little <laughs> your shoes repel water so galoshes are a lifesaver for me I literally was picturing you in like a Paddington Bear type situation. Hundred percent. All right. Um, I guess I'll go. My, I'm going to cheat just a little bit because this wasn't purchased in the last three years. But I, every time I, I use this, I comment to whoever's around. Sometimes myself. Sometimes my roommates' cats. Sometimes other people that I just love it. Um, before I moved out for my parents, my my dad did a lot of cooking in restaurants. And so there was a few specific cooking tools that I needed to get for myself. 
and one of them is this pair of long tongs. I think it, they're like 18 inches. So, and I just love them because it's amazing what just that little bit of extra length on, on the tongs, how useful <laughs> that is. How And there's just a good solid pair too. Like I've seen people with these weird little, like just the thin hot dog things. I'm like, I'm not using those tongs. Like I cook, uh, went up to a friend's cabin a few weeks ago to pl- just game all weekend. And I'm like, I'm going to cook breakfast. I'm bringing up my own knife and I'm bringing up my tongue. <laughs> like everything else you have in the cabin. I, and he's like, well, we have knives. We have, I don't, I don't care. I'm bringing up my chef's knife and I'm bringing up my tongs because those are what I cook with. Is this like a male thing where you get super excited for a couple extra inches? Or... <laughs> uh, no, there may be a correlation. I mean, <laughs> remember, this is a family podcast. <laughs> just, but I'll tell you, when you're, when you're cooking bacon, when you're cooking bacon, you want that hand as far away from that grease as you can get it. So I, I also was struggling to come up with this because a lot of the stuff I, I was thinking is not very unique, but is very helpful. So I, I, I was initially just going to lift list all the knives that I bought. Like when my wife and I got married, literally the thing I was most excited for on our wedding registry was anytime I saw that we were getting one of the knives that I had put up there. Um, But because of that, this is a little related. One item that I think has been great and awesome has been um, a magnetic strip that goes beyond on the back behind our stove that the knives attach to. So I have a magnetic block for the knives and it saves counter space. My knives are right there when I need to use them. Um, they're right in the useful place where they need to be. The second one actually is related to the wedding gift that I was given by Joe and his lovely wife, which is um, magnetic spice containers. So we have a metal board that you just, all the spices are on that board next to the stove in these round containers that have magnets on the bottom of them. Um, so that we can just grab them while we're working. And so it's just, it's usefulness stuff that I think, uh, what's really funny is my in-laws bought their own uh, townhouse and literally copied the exact brand and board that my wife and I had because we had done it. Perfect. Um, the last thing, I don't know why I'm doing three, but Titus I, I started. I misread the question. Yeah, I thought I thought three things. Well, that's okay. Years, but, yeah. That's good because you have to do another one now because I'm going to do three. Yeah. <laughs> um, the last one was... Uh, it was a Kickstarter program that had moved to being an online, uh, like they just were for available for sale on Amazon, which is a beer brewing journal. So my wife and I brew beer, and it is a journal that is set up, a nice leather-bound one that has like hop substitution lists if you can't get the hops that you need, so you can look at other ones. It lists the types of glasses you should use for different styles of beer, but it also then has the recipes Um, where you can write notes of what you brewed and what went well, what you would have changed, what the tasting was, the alcohol percentage. And so you can just really easily, it's got spaces for all of those things because I used to just write that stuff down on like a notepad that I'm sure got lost. It's a good list. Thanks. Did that give you time to come up with your third? It did. It did. A third and a a bonus one because I have magnets triggered it. Uh, Actually, the... (laughs) I had to get one that is more than $100 because I changed the screen that I'm working on because I work on a Wacom Cintiq, which is the screen that I can draw on directly. So I, don't, I no longer have a tablet in front of me. I have a screen which I draw on. Um, and I used to have a, a an arm. It's called the Ergotron arm that held the screen up. So I can 
pitch and move my screen every which way. So the one that I need now is more expensive because this screen is ridiculously heavy. Uh, I don't know what it is in um, American units. It's bigger than my number, but this thing is 10 kilograms. So I think that's like 20 pounds, 22 pounds. Um, so it's, it's heavy. So I need a heavier duty arm. But if you can, if you spend a lot of time behind your computer and you don't want to invest in a standing desk, get an Ergotron arm, which costs like a hundred bucks, put your screen on there and you can just put your screen up and stand. And if your desk is in a reasonable height, your hands, well, my hands can still reach my desk just fine. You just, they're just stretched down. And there you go. You got your faux standing desk for about a hundred bucks. Nice. So, so that's, so that's what I've, I've been, that was a real back saver for me because I sit down less. And the bonus item is um, my magnetic Millennium Falcon bottle opener. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a little, it's a little Millennium Falcon and it has a magnet on the back so it can just attach it to like the fridge or whatever. And, uh, and it looks cool. <laughs> that's awesome. By the way, uh, <laughs> like Lunter is not sponsored by the Ergotron arm, but Ergotron, if you are listening. <laughs> yes, if you are listening, send me more arms. <laughs> it's something odd that I just this conversation made me think of too that maybe is a little silly, but like pop vinyls have been great for me because what I do is I bring them to work because I work in like a classic cubicle and an office building and it can feel really soulless. <laughs> and so having having claptrap and like a Johnny and uh, just these little things that I love sitting, you know, and someone gave me like this little Pokemon sun and moon poster that I put up on the wall. So just having these things around me really makes the environment better to work in. Original magic art. So we got more questions here. The next one um, comes from Tyler Lieb, who is at Basic Landbin. And he wants to know, Titus, from you, what were the most challenging and most rewarding commissions that you've had for magic and why? Um, usually my default answer for the most challenging one is uh, a black card, resourceful return. I keep forgetting the name because it was a gear hulk suspended upside down from the ceiling with artificers working on it while it was being reassembled. Um, and the, the, the concept for the gear hulk wasn't that clear yet. So that was by far and away the most complicated piece, um, I ever had to do, uh, but you know, some time has passed and some other challenging ones have uh, come across. And the one of the most challenging ones is I one that I thought was going to be in Guilds of Ravnica, but isn't, uh, which is a really interesting, um, interesting creature. So when that comes out, I'll talk about that. Wow. Uh, and the most rewarding might have been, it's got to be one of the reprints. I've been weirdly lucky that I get a bunch of reprints, you know, um, so, you know, Wrath of God, um, Pact of Negation, Ensnaring Bridge, Icy. They all score super high. Because, you know, wh when do you get to do one of the staples of magic? Like, hardly ever. Either you have the original window or you don't, then it passes. So, when you, you know, if you get to go back there, yeah, that, that's really rewarding. <laughs> What's really cool on Resourceful Return is Titus actually did, you did a GIF of, of like making that that's on Reddit, correct? Is it? Yeah, there's... A, that at all. Oh, you, it's, well, I guess it's just under the uh, subreddit of Titus Lutner, so maybe somebody, I don't know, but there is a, I'm going to post it, um, maybe, and it uh, shows kind of the process did of the it? art. 
I might have made that, but I can't remember making that. Okay. Well, we're we're gonna include it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Even if some. No, it was. Yeah. It's. It, 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 I mean, I named that piece a lot of times because it has a funny anecdote where uh, I was. I got the commission, and then I broke down the commission and and had a bunch of questions for the art director. You know, the question was like, "Am I getting this right? Is this actually what I'm ma- making?" And I was juggling all the different pieces. I'm like, how are you going to know if it's being taken apart or put together? Like, what's the difference in one frame? Yeah, you, you can't tell the difference. That's impossible. And I just got an email back saying, good luck. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> So um, this next one, actually, I'm guessing, comes from a friend of yours, Titus. Yeah, uh, is it yeah. Gidge Welton? Heiss. Heiss. Heiss Welton, which is at Heiss Welton, spelled G-I-G-S Welton. But we, he, he wants you to tell us about your Joyra Commander deck and why you hate your friends. Well, I mean... In your playgroup. It's a strong word. It's more like a general dislike. No. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, I, I'm I'm kind of a Timmy player, but I'm a bad Timmy player, right? So I never win with my Timmy decks, just ever. <laughs> um, I've tried everything, man. I had the giant Hydras, you know, the ridiculous numbers, but everything always gets shot down or canceled or negated, and it's endlessly frustrating. So I decided, you know what? I'm not going to build a deck with creatures anymore because that's just stupid. <laughs> Um, because it's just going to counter it anyway, and I'll never win. And it's not about winning, but if you never win, it is kind of about winning. <laughs> so, I, I decided to make a deck, um, which I thought would just be kind of a fun combo deck. I, I you know, hit and miss as all combo decks go. I'm not a big fan of, of you know, either you have the combo or you don't, you win the game or you don't. But I figured, you know, I, I try a bit more casual approach. So I just build a, a Jorah Weatherlight Commander, the new one deck with uh, Etherflux Reservoir as the main, uh, as the main victory. And I have this deck for months now. And I, you know, I thought I had a cube before, but nobody ever played with the cube. So I took it apart. So all these super expensive cards have come out of it. You know, all the cool artifacts are in there. No power cards, but, you know, pretty much everything else. And um, yeah, I, I play tested the game, and on turn five, I have like 180 life. I'm like, oh, well, I mean, that worked. And then I played it again, and then on turn six, I had 200 life. And I was like, oh, good, that worked. And um, apparently, after years of trying to build a Timmy deck and failing, I took one stab at a Jura combo deck, and it just works every time. Sixty <laughs> percent of the time it works. It every works time. every time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even look. I'm not. I'm not playing the deck anymore because I realized that it's a really shitty deck to play against. And I'm not even playing it when I really want to win. But it's really fun to have one box with one deck in it, which I know that if I grab it, I'm gonna have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I mostly play it behind my computer by myself. You know, when there's nobody else, just in my in my break, I'll have like a bunch of commander decks next to me. I'll just play. You know, just, oh, this would be my opening hand. What? Okay, this is what I do. Oh, that's fun. That could work. Um, but yeah, it's See, it's fun. It's combo, that's combo that's that's funny because that's a, a very similar to my journey with my Kozilek deck. Um, I built a deck with the new Kozilek, and I'm I'm a Timmy player. I'm also a Johnny players, so I like to do convoluted things sometimes. Convoluted big things, especially. And mm. so 
Kozilek worked out really well. I, I built the deck, started playing it. Then I realized that all the deck wants is more mana ramp. Um, so I now have a version of Kozilek where I tend to cast him on turn four. And that... <laughs> nice. See, that works. Is, it's, it's another deck that I don't play very often because there's not a lot of people who I know who can deal with Kozilek on turn four. But there's times where it's like, okay, this is a serious game with some ser- some people I know who have more serious decks. I'm going to bust out Kozilek. Who do you play right. with that has serious decks? Like, where are you finding these people? Because <laughs> it's not our play group. Oh. <laughs> no spikes in our group. Not whatsoever. No. Nope. No. I, have I, a I will. Really spiky deck that never wins, though. <laughs> which <is> my, <laughs> right. <laughs> which is my combo discard deck. Okay, so <clears throat> in case uh, Gijs is uh, listening, and moreover, his uh, brother, Bart, is listening. Um, this one's for you guys. There was a game where I uh, there were three players left, and I was playing my um, Demir discard combo deck, and I was firing off, and it was going really, really well. And um, I combo into all my pieces, and I make both of them mill until they reach what was it like eight or nine lands. So, like their whole decks were destroyed, and. I, I was on a, I was on a, I was in bad shape. I don't really run any creatures in there because why would I? It was a mill combo deck. I don't really care. Um, the creatures are there to tap, so I can you know mill for that amount. And I was tapping, tapping, and I had Bart down to no cards, zero. So I was like, you know what? Pass the turn. Have fun. You lose the game. In fact, he did not lose the game. Because he killed me in his upkeep. <laughs> he found a way to kill me in his upkeep with the cards that he had. I mean, I had twice now that I had people at no cards left. And before their draw step, they kill me. I don't even... That feels so bad. That feels so bad. Because they were like, do you have a way to make me draw a card? Like, why would I? No, you draw a card naturally. My my deck is about milling. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, oh, then I get, then I have you. Like, what? No, you need to draw a card. Like, no, upkeeps first. Like, okay, yeah, but that's a formality. It's like, no. (laughs) So it's the best worst deck I've ever had. It's really good, but it never wins. It just can't win. It's impossible. That's awesome. This is from David Schultz, uh, at David underscore A underscore Schultz. From what artist or piece of art have you drawn the most inspiration? Oh, wow. Um, Inspiration is not a monolith, right? So it changes all of the time. I think, um, you know, as an artist, you try to use as much inspiration as you get. And it can come from every single angle possible. Um, inspiration mainly means curiosity. So as long as you're curious enough, you'll find stuff everywhere. But if I had to name a bunch of artists that I really look up to, it's a divide between contemporary and uh, classical. Um, In the classical sphere, it's more about the idea that they represent. So we're talking about William Turner, which is very kind of uh, romantic paintings, and uh, John Martin, which is very bombastic kind of end of the world paintings. But what they represent is really cool, you know. They 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 embody a, a shift um, in in art culture where things have become less uh, church driven and more personal stories and more loose and more grand. And there was no room for that before. So we have a lot to thank uh, those guys for. 
And in, in the contemporary sphere, I'm looking at specifically concept artists and illustrators for the digital realm, which is what I do. And two names that pop up are Craig Mullins and Jamie Jones. Um, both are absolute legends. It's hard for me to state to somebody who doesn't know about art how important they actually have been. Uh, Craig Mullins has basically invented digital painting. So, you know, big props to Craig. He's worked on everything that's incredibly cool. Uh, he has a very, very loose way of painting, but uses an incredible amount of detail to still pull paintings off. He's done a few pieces for Magic um, a long time ago. Uh, same for Jamie Jones. He's done stuff recently. Everybody will know him from like Heart of Kieran and a million other cards. Uh, and, and, and he's just a legend. He uses super cool, tiny color shifts and hard to find edges versus soft edges, which may or may not mean a lot to the non-artist listening, but the tinier the things look, the harder they are to pull off. The big shapes, the figures, the anatomy is easier. And the place that they're playing around in that space, that 1% that separates them is more complicated than all the other 99% put together times like a million. It, it, that last percentile is near impossible. And seeing people playing around with that with, with such apparent ease and casualness is just a joy for me to look at. I was going to say, I, I just looking up as we're talking about this, I just looked at the Craig Mullins um, version of Glacial Wall, um, oh, yeah. which, which was in uh, the Eternal Master set. And it really does have that beauty of, like you were saying, knowing that it's digital art, but taking, I mean, he, he it, most of what he had done for Magic has been landscapes and been the, the, yeah. been, like, the basic lands. Yeah. He takes Glacial Wall and basically makes a panorama, I mean, basically makes a landscape into a creature kind of what you were yeah. talking a little bit about before and it's yeah. just that's amazing if you know nothing about digital art and want to know what good digital art looks like if you're coming in from a completely neutral point of view and goes like i wonder what go to his website which is goodbrush.com so it's just goodbrush.com and pretty much every single piece you see on there is probably as good as that piece will will be it, i mean this is my opinion i know a lot of people go like no i want it more rendered or less rendered or uh, but coming from from me my point of view and how he constructs his images and colors and composition um, it yeah it's incredibly good okay awesome so okay let's get into some fun all right first questions here is a little bit about we i mean we're gonna ask now that we're watching you on uh we, we can see you on video right now this may have changed but it wants to know why the goatee and not a full beard if I could have a full beard, I'd have a full beard. <laughs> I'd have it years ago. I'd have a full beard as a baby. <laughs> that that question is painful, man. It... <laughs> oh, we're going to let them know. This is the best don't... I could do, okay? This is the best I could do, and I'm trying. <laughs> Not like this right here is what you're saying. Uh, no, I have the thickest of mustaches which is a tease and the rest is just patchwork all the way and i can't that's it see and i wish i could have your mustache so trade off <laughs> so the, these questions this was actually a series of them all came from uh, a cowboy uh at kyle Car c carson who likes he, he's asked us questions for every mailbag we've done he wants to know how you take your coffee uh lots of milk that's it lots of milk i'm cutting down on sugar but okay. good. 
Now, is it more espresso, dark roast? What are we? No, man, I can't know because I don't like the taste of coffee. And I like the taste <laughs> of coffee at the same time. You know, you know that feeling where you, you like it, but you don't oh. like it. That, that's exactly where I'm at. That's why you put the, the, the milk in because then you don't right. really taste the coffee, but you get the hint of it. Exactly. So my, my is like, I'll have the milk or maybe the soy milk and then maybe a little bit of hazelnut and a sprinkle of the mocha and then you, you make it a double. But, uh, you know, not, I'm drinking coffee, but it's not really coffee. But I do need coffee. <laughs> this reminds me of like, a, a, so when I've been at cons uh, or, or at magic events, I tend to, um, I've had a good experience and good relationship with uh, RK Post. So I always bring him coffee whenever I see him at events. And the joke is that he tells me to get him the most sugary sweet thing that I can possibly find that also has like four shots of espresso in it. Yeah, that's a good one. That's, that's probably the artist beverage of, uh, of choice. Of choice. <laughs> yeah, so, I'll never um, say no to coffees brought at GPs. Just to to... And I will say that in general, from my experience, all artists do appreciate bringing them a coffee. Just do it for your artists when you go. There is this, uh, this awesome dude who him and his brother always visit me at GPs in Europe and he brings homemade uh, vegan cinnamon rolls and other kind of baked goods. And oh, he is absolutely God. amazing. For doing see, that, so. if you were here, I would bring you a homemade brew, uh, home brewed beer. See, I don't drink beer. So that, I mean, so it'd be a waste. The problem. So it would be yeah. a waste. It would yeah. be a waste. If you get into ciders, then you have my attention. Oh, tend to drink a lot of ciders <laughs> don't yeah, drink a lot of yeah. beer i don't like the taste of beer the only beers no, i found I that i like are ones that don't taste like beer like we've got a beer yeah. from just one side over wisconsin that uh, called berry vise it's just a seasonal thing but it's got like blackberry juice in there so it doesn't taste mm. like beer it's just yeah. alcoholic blackberry juice it's pretty good. I, know, I feel you man that's 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 where i'm at but i'm also trying not to do cider because that's a lot of sugar and i'm trying to minimize my sugar intake because i sit like 18 hours a day which is not good but that's how you get the good art um so now i've switched to like liquor which is worse but <laughs> less sugar so yeah i tend to drink more white russians than i should but you know also the big lebowski so i feel you know <laughs> that's a good place to be at okay he, he's got a few more that's a he um wants to know your favorite sea monster or landworm. <laughs> Do we even know any sea monsters or landworms? <laughs> I literally landworm. expected yes. this to just turn into an armada worm. The worm? No. Ah. No. <laughs> not the armada worm. Like one time, not talk about the armada worm. Like... <laughs> oh, I'm going to let that one go. Oh, okay. man. <laughs> oh, the armada worm. No, it's the landworm is the worm from Dune. It's yeah. it's, the, it's the spice. The yeah. Spice is life. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's one card that you wish you could create art for? And if you can't answer that, we understand. Oh, picking one. Oh my man, that list is that list is long. But it'd have to be Stormcrow, hands down. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we are a little disappointed that you did not say a goblin of some sort, but we're not going to hold that against you. I mean, but which goblin would take precedent? You know, this is like. Cranko. Is it Cranko? Is it, you know, Kiki Chiki? Is it. It's, it's Cranko. It's Cranko, right? It's, I voted it's, Cranko. It's I saw Cranko. the poll on Twitter. I voted Cranko. It had to be Cranko. 
No, but it, it had to be. If I had to pick one card which the Magic community could get a laugh out of if it got a reprint with new art, it would have to be a Stormcrow. Nice. Yeah. So uh, the person wants to know kind of a, a little more seriousness. This is still all from Kyle. Do you have any advice on how to stay a shining star of positivity in the magic community? Because you do have that reputation. Everything you do onto others, you do onto yourself. That's the most important thing to learn. If you give positivity, you'll get positivity back. Not always, but if... <laughs> It's important to understand that we are all the same person in essence, right? We are here, we are here for a short time, we are here to learn. And if we consider us all to be the same person, what would you want? You want to have the things that happen uh, to you to be positive. So that means that you have to be positive to other people. It doesn't mean you always get to be positive. Look, I, I, I say a lot that you have to be as good as you can be even if the world is not good to you, right? You cannot guarantee that the world is good to you. You cannot expect the world to be good to you. You cannot have any sort of expectation whatsoever. Just because you do good does not mean you have a right to receive good. It doesn't work that way. That's a very weird, naive way of looking at things. But if you realize that whatever you do onto others, you do onto yourself in, in this weird, and I'm not a spiritual kind of person or anything like that, but I do believe that if I spend the extra energy to be positive, someone might spend the energy to be positive to somebody else, you know, because we're all doing it to to each other, and that's the that's the least we can do, really. And the the impact goes a very long way, very long way. And and I will say that it it, it becomes a conscious effort and action at some point, and it's making yep. a choice to do that, even when. You're not having a good day. It doesn't mean that you're being fake. Um, there's actually this whole concept of opposite action that shows up, especially in what's called dialectical behavior therapy or DBT, which is when you feel like you want to act in a certain way that has not been healthy for you in the past. It's to purposefully do the opposite of it and right. see what happens. Um, right. And I know that for me, who struggles with depression and anxiety, I, I have had lots of years of just negativity and putting that out there. And... I still have very bad days and I also am trying to make a conscious effort to be grateful and to look at the grateful and to be mindful of the fact that I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to have great days every day yet. I would like to see more positivity there. And so I'm going to try, uh, I don't like to use the word try. I am going to do that. And now I may fail. Right. I may not be good at it. Um, yeah, my, my motto is, is do or do not, there is no try. Um, yeah. So I may not be successful with it, and I'm still going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, have, I don't have anxiety, but I, I struggle with control a lot, you know, with what I talked about in the last episode and things that, that have happened, where if I go someplace, the first thing in my mind is like, what if it goes wrong? Mm -hmm. If I get a magic commission, like, what if it goes wrong? Mm -hmm. And I never think about the other side, but what if it goes right? And, and allowing yourself to think more in that way has helped me. If I post my art online, what if they go on another winch hunt, right? What if they call me out like that again? Mm -hmm. But what if they don't? What if they like my stuff? What if I keep giving into the negativity that I see in the world around me? Well, I know what's going to happen then, but what if I don't? What if I spin that and instead just be positive? 
like you said, it's a conscious effort. It's not easy. It doesn't work all the time. I have plenty of people who call my positivity fake or tell me that, you know, I'm not famous or important enough to to give my opinion all the time and stuff. I'm like, okay, I mean, that's fair, man. If that's your opinion, that's fine. But that's not going to stop me because what if I would stop because you said those things to me? That'd be that'd be stupid and terrible. So no, I'm not going to do that. And sometimes the question is way easier to recognize and answer than others. But you'd be surprised if you start making that effort, how many things you start to realize are happening. And then being positive uh, feels nice. It feels good to be positive. I can still get incredibly aggravated and annoyed when I get five games in a row on draft where I draw five lands in a row and lose the game. That is frustrating and I'm not in a good mood, but then I just turn that off and just be positive again and we're moving on. You know, there's no reason to hang on to that. Uh, no, that's, that's why I'm doing this podcast for, for a long time. I was looking at the, what if this fails? What if this goes poorly? Mm. But I've now that's that is a that is a tool of avoidance. And so because I've been more cognizant of that in myself, I've been making those choices that would have felt risky and still kind of feel risky. But now I'm looking at both sides. Right on, and, man. That's that's really good stuff. So the last question we have is a great one to kind of be segging out into the end of the episode, which is, have you ever tried putting butter on a Pop-Tart? This comes from local Minneapolis player, the Booze Cube, at the Booze Cube, who we know very well. <laughs> and I'm not surprised that this came from him at all. Uh, I heard it's uh, I heard it's freaking good. So my first question was actually going to be, what is your experience with Pop-Tarts to begin with? Well, since we are a functional, well-educated society, we don't actually have Pop-Tarts here. Right. So, you know, that's... Um, <laughs> that was that's my, my first that's thought. My, that's my sneer right there. There you have it. That's... <laughs> no, we don't, have, we don't have Pop-Tarts. We don't have Pop-Tarts. I had them once when I, was in, uh, when I was in the States. I did have Pop-Tarts. And I think there were like three different flavors of Pop-Tart. And I, I guess my palate is not used to it because i just couldn't taste the difference between the pop tarts i was like these all taste the same to me it's an overload of sugar and my mind is racing and my heartbeat is irregular now um that's called being taste... an american <laughs> right yeah. um to answer the question aside from i heard it's freaking good no I, I i i must say that i have never actually had the pleasure of putting butter on a pop tart because they're not for sale here i can't get my hands on pop tarts so i can't i, I can't have that experience i'm sorry you can, not even the netherlands version of amazon will get you a pop tart we don't actually have amazon in the netherlands oh my gosh see this is amazon here in the netherlands actually only sells books okay wow <laughs> can you believe that yeah not, it, Go back I, to the civilized well-educated population uh, I mean, if, if, if people want to send me pop tarts, it's fine. But I, I guess there's like a U.S. store in Amsterdam that I could travel two hours to get to and buy some pop tarts. But uh, yeah, I, I live in a pretty small town, so we have not Americanized um, as much here. So there, there's a lot of stuff that it just. So you have real bakeries that are going to have Danishes that are going to taste much better than that is what you're telling me. Well, you know, we'd not call them Danishes because we're robbers, well, obviously. But uh, you know, that's uh... a. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, Stroopwafels? Am I in the right Stroop, region yeah, now? Yeah, Stroopwafels. Yeah, for sure. I actually, just bought some of those. 
nice. See, I, I think I think a lot of people would say, oh, you know, the cheese from my home country or state is much better than X or Y. And yeah. I think I think the Netherlands has a, has, a, has a lot to be proud of, but the food culture is definitely not one of them, save for cheese. And I read somewhere that we also invented the donut, but I'm not sure if that's true. I do know that we invented chicken and waffles. But when I looked at the original recipe for chicken and waffles, it was not what I thought that it was. Um, so that that was highly disappointing. Wait, now I need to know about this. What was the original so, recipe? So the, the original chicken and waffles recipe came from the Dutch that then settled in the U.S. in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Pennsylvania Dutch. Yep. Um, we love them. And... So, you know, I made chicken and waffles one. You know, the fried chicken, put yeah. it on a you know, fat waffle. I'm so very confused what I think about the dish, but I like it a lot because it's whimsical. So, yeah. you know, and I do make delicious popcorn chicken if I say so myself. But that dish was, um, their waffle was not really a, a, a waffle. It was more like a, a pancake uh, burnt between two irons. So instead of putting just the batter in a pan, you make a thicker batter and then you put it in between like a burning iron. Mm -hmm. So it's not exactly waffle, but it's also not a pancake. Um, and the chicken is definitely not fried because they had never heard of that before. That did, did not exist. <laughs> so they had a slow cooked boiled chicken. So they that's what I was picturing. Boiled chicken. So it's a wet, slow boiled chicken on kind of like a thick half baked pancake. And that just sounds disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, when you said that it was not going to be like anything like it, I was picturing boiled chicken. That was my yeah. first thought. Yeah. Yeah. The Dutch are, are terrible with flavors and flavoring. So our signature dish is like a potato. I mean, okay, no, look, here, here's, here's a signature dish for you. Uh, one that I actually enjoy a lot that is very, very Dutch. Uh, okay, this is, this is going to be, we're going to do recipe time here for, for like a minute. Awesome. Um, the Dutch, uh, the, the recipe in Dutch is called boerenkool, which literally translates to farmer's cabbage, and it doesn't make any sense. But there it is, farmer's cabbage. So uh, all these will be a metric because I don't know what a cup is. They have a cup of butter, and I don't know how much that is because we do everything by weight because that makes sense. Um, so what you do is you just get five or six big potatoes. And not the potatoes that when you boil them for half an hour, they're still rock solid. You need the ones that you can kind of mash, right? So if you want to buy potatoes that are quick to cook and easy to mash, that's fine. So you get those. Then you get about, see, I'll, tr I'll try to translate for you, uh, two pounds worth of kale. It's sometimes called curly kale, but it's just kale. And if you can, you need to get the kale without the stem, because if you have to cut the kale off of the stem, you'll be there for hours. So if you can get shredded kale, no stem. Stem's disgusting. It's too bitter. Don't do that. Right. So you put the potatoes, you peel them, you cut them, you put them in a pan, then you put the kale in the pan, and then you let that boil for about 20 minutes to half an hour. Then obviously you get, you get a very bland uh, kind of dish. So what you do is you put... Um, Gosh, what is that called? The little tiny cubes of flavor that you put in soup for for bullion. Like, the bullion, yes, yes, that's what we call it. But I thought that was gold. Anyway, um, put bullion, but not gold. Just one in there. And, uh, <laughs> Wait, so if I use gold, I'm in the wrong spot. You are. You're in the right spot because you have access to superfluous gold. Which is <laughs> um, depending on on your 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 love for butter, uh, once that's done. 
uh, cooking and boiling. You drain it, you get rid of all the, the water that's in there, and you get a big masher, you put a little butter in there. Uh, half a stick is definitely too much, so like quarter or a fifth of a stick, you just put that in there, you mash it through. While you're doing that, you are cooking up some bacon, but not bacon strips, but the, what do you call it, little chunks of bacon? Mm-hmm. I forget uh, what that's called. There's a name for it. But tiny chunks of bacon, uh, little cubes or whatever, you, you cook them up on the side. And now the most important thing is, is you have to import a, a specialty smoked Dutch sausage, which is very popular. But any sausages will do, really. Uh, and what you do, if the sausage is already smoked, some sausages are smoked and you have to do them, like just warm them up in a, in, in a pan of water for like 15 minutes, you know, those kind of really nice smoky sausages. Instead of warming them up in the water, the last 10 minutes of when the, the, the stew is actually boiling, you put the sausage on there, right? Then you get the sausage out, you drain the water, you get the bacon, the bacon grease, you mash all of that through in there, you get some gravy, and then you just slab 2,000 calories worth of the, you know, the stew on your plate, get the bacon in there, cut a bit of the sausage on top of there, and that will be good for a day of hard work. That is the, the farmer cabbage signature Dutch dish. You know, I cannot think of a better way to have ended this episode than <laughs> a recipe from the Netherlands. <laughs> So, Joe, you can end the episode right there. That's our fade out. We got a recipe. That's our show. The show can be found on Twitter at GoblinLorePod, or you can email us any questions, comments, or concerns at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. Titus Lunter can be found at Titus Lunter. That's L-U-N-T-E-R. Joel Redman can be found on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D Horn. Hobbs Q can be found at Hobbs Q. And Alex Newman can be found at Alexander New M. Goblin Lore is a member of the Geek Therapy Network. Geek Therapy celebrates how geek culture can save the world through podcasts, videos, blog posts, community outreach, education, and convention appearances. It's a network of like-minded creators who believe that all different facets of nerd culture are important to understanding how our minds and communities work. Check them out at geektherapy.com or at geektherapy on Twitter. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.